the rig is like the the first mountain bike trail that we kind of used to do all the time like that was like the local like after school we'd go and ride the rig um it's like it's been it's actually not as good as it used to be to be fair it's been like track um smoothing down with erosion and things like that but yeah we'd always used to go up there and we had like a little we put a nail up there at the top of the hill and we used to tally into the rocks like how many times like if you go up you tally one and over the summer we'd count up how many times you'd go up it was like a competition who could go to the top the most times that was fraser clackety i am curtis mansfield and this is the hips and dips podcast After travelling the world for this week, my feet are well and truly planted back on the shores of Blighty. That is, of course, symbolically, as you well know, I haven't even left my bedroom for these episodes. I have, however, migrated the laptop about six inches further to the right. This week, we're discussing cycling. If I told you this man had six consecutive national titles, from age group through to elite level, competed at the 2018 Commonwealth Games, and previously won a bronze at the UCI Junior Series, you might be expecting a slightly larger household name. But in a really interesting observation from cycling, I found the bigger the participation, the smaller the fame. Growing up, I knew a lot of lads who owned mountain bikes or BMX bikes, but I knew very few who owned a track bike or a road bike. But despite this, Laura Trott, Jason Kenny, Chris Hoy, Joanna Rousel, Bradley Wiggins, uh, Chris Froome, and so on. Oh, and of course, Kendall Ryan, thanks to his podcast, they're all large household names. But can you name me a GB or international mountain biker? I couldn't, but I can now, as this week's guest is Team GB and Team JB Brunek Superior cross-country cyclist, Fraser Clackety. As already alluded to, an impressive CV for a younger man with global ambitions. To add to those six national titles, a Commonwealth Games appearance, he's also placed fourth in the Val de Bois and as a host of top 10 finishers on the World Cup circuit. This week's episode once again features the most symbolic quiz in podcast land and also has great insights from Fraser as he approaches this stage of what is a rather convoluted Olympic cycle. Remember to check out the Instagram page, which is at hips underscore and underscore dips for more details on Fraser and Kendall and Stuart and all of my great guests we've had from series one. I think the time has come for this podcast to truly descend downhill. So here we go. It's Fraser Clackety. Right, Fraser, good to see you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Um, it's uh, uh, I'm not going to be around the bush. Me and Fraser have already attempted to record this podcast a few minutes ago with uh, varying audio quality, so we're um, semi-repeating ourselves, which is why we're mildly amused by it. Um, but but yeah, so it's great to have you on, and it's interesting because we're recording this podcast now in uh, what's sort of mid to late Jan, and so it probably won't go live until sort of end of Feb, maybe start of March. So. I think the the position the country's in can be very different by that time. But obviously we can't help that. So we can talk about all the world that's around us. And in that vein, um, 
I'm going to start by asking the same question I ask every week, really, which is how was 2020 and how did it affect your health from a physical, mental and, of course, social point of view? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, for me personally, um, I know there's a lot of negativity in news and things like that. But for me, uh, 2020 was a really good year. Um, I started the year in Australia with my girlfriend. Um, and... I was injured with tendonitis and I finished the year probably one of the fittest I've ever, some of the fittest I've ever been. Um, so the journey from, uh, yeah, throughout the year was, was really good. I managed to get um, seven or eight international races in there towards the end of the year, which was great. Um, yeah, so for me, it was great. Physically, like I said, um, I at the end of the season, I was probably in some of the best shape I've been in. Um, obviously, mentally and socially, it had its challenges with a lot of the time I was just training with no aim date of a race. I didn't know what I was essentially training for, which was tough at times. But I was fortunate enough to work with a psychologist through that and have that support, um, which is something I've also... I've learned, I've learned a lot about the brain as well and how things work, which is a new experience for me. Um, mm. And yeah, socially, obviously it was a bit restricted. Um, I'm not one for massive parties anyway, myself, with uh, obviously the field that I'm in. Um, so yeah, that wasn't huge, but um, yeah, I still, still, I actually got a lot closer to my family, I think I would say. Um, obviously being stuck with them through the first lockdown and so on it brought us together quite a lot which yeah which I think I probably took them for granted before and then when you stuck with them and you realize you like yeah I think it's a bit of an eye-opener I think which I'm fortunate to have I think a lot of people may, may have struggled with being stuck in the house so I think I definitely dealt with it very well and yeah it was a it was a good experience myself yeah fantastic and that's that's a common theme amongst many of the the guests so far the idea of having that increased family time whether that be with your kids or with your parents but it's kind of quite nice to have that sort of mental reset and kind of reassess what's important and for many people that is that increased social interaction which is great um and i suppose so this is a question i was more thinking about using for later but the idea that so cycling can be divided into multiple elements, um, but probably the biggest, I'd say probably the biggest stick in the UK is probably road cycling um, with the success of like the Tour de France and various other tours and the world champs. And then every four years, we have this Olympic merry-go-round when track cycling becomes massive. Um, but of course you do mountain biking, which, uh, which I imagine compared to the other two requires a lot less physical demands. So a lot, well, not so much physical demands, but physical training. So probably less weight sessions, less um, sort of what bike sessions, stuff like that, which means in a lockdown, you probably benefited from being able to do a lot of your training outdoors. Would that be the case? Yeah, definitely. I would say that if the only way of training, like my main training method was say indoors, like a track cyclist in the gym, um, then yeah, it would have been a lot tougher. But for me, I do obviously a lot of cycling, a lot of road miles, uh, mountain bike. Um, 
a bit of running, things like that. So, yeah, it was it didn't really affect me so much, um, which is I'm fortunate for. I have a little home home gym set up that I've got, which isn't ideal, but it does the job. Um, and yeah, obviously do the stretching and yoga and stuff at home like I always would. So, yeah, for, very fortunate that um, I wasn't the training wasn't massively affected, which was great. Well, yeah, and you mentioned that you kind of had those those events towards the end of the season, um, which is interesting. I think a lot of athletes, um, particularly obviously in team sports, you get those options for this. But in individual sports, a lot of people have had these kind of front load, uh, sorry, back loaded seasons. So whereas normally you probably space your events out throughout the year, perhaps peak at certain points, because you haven't had the opportunity to race for most of the year, you kind of just do whatever you can. So you do as many events as you can, as quickly as you can. Would that be, would that be the case for you? You just kind of get as much as you can done yeah. when you're good? Yeah, definitely. It was, it was hectic. We were, I was training, so all like building my training up all the way up until maybe August-ish, I think, end of August. And then from September to October, I had like eight races and the races were all like either World Cups, World Champs or European Champs, like eight big races in the space of seven weeks or something. So it was mm. crazy. I've, I've never had, a, had anything like that, to be honest. Usually like you have a World Cup, maybe one weekend, then the next weekend and then a month off until the next one kind of thing or... Yeah, so it was like you peak for the end of the season, but the end of the season was two months long kind of thing instead of one race. Um, yeah, but I, I, it was actually yeah a big learning experience, I think, because a lot of the time when you race back to back all the time, my mentality was always like, oh, racing takes too much out of you. You can't perform, you know what I mean, back to back at that yeah, level. Yeah. Um, but I actually got stronger as the races went on, um, okay. which... I was very surprised by. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is interesting. I think we'll get onto that later as well when we talk more about injuries and training methods and perhaps the idea that um, I've heard that comment quite a lot from different sports, like um, even sports like football and rugby, they've spoke about the benefits of just playing games and not having those really brutal training sessions. And then rugby players have said they've benefited from that and I think some footballers come out and said it as well so it's quite interesting for many sports the idea that maybe we've placed too much emphasis on high intensity training over the years in certain sports and perhaps there's a real benefit just to do the sport more um, in the form of more games or more competitions like, you, like you've alluded to. I said we'll get on to that later on so so for now we're going to do our little ice breaking game which has become a little tradition on this podcast in recent weeks um, and I always take some form of inspiration for the game uh, from my guest. Now, of course, you're a cyclist, but I've used up all my cycling-based puns on a previous guest who was a road cyclist from America. So instead, I've taken inspiration from your name in, uh, in Fraser. Uh, you're actually, believe it or not, the third Fraser we've had on this podcast. And it's only no, been... Uh... Uh, I've got to come in which one we are now. It's been less than 20 episodes and we've had three phrases, um, one of which was a surname, but still. So this little game is called House of Fraser. Um, great, great little pun there. And uh, what I've done is it's, it's inspired by a certain game show, which stars Vernon Kay. 
which I can't mention because it'll be uh, probably copyrighted. But uh, basically, you have to name the top five things found in a certain room in the house. Now, all the answers for this quiz have been taken from asking Charlotte Fraser and her family to name the top five things in these rooms in their house. So I'll give you an example. Um, if I was to say name five things found in the bedroom, the answers would be bed, wardrobes, chest of drawers, bedding and curtains. Um, and you're allowed to get up to three answers wrong before you get zoned out. You got any questions on that, Fraser? No, let's, let's go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I've got some great sound effects as well. Listen to these. Wait, I've got it turned up. You get one of those if you get it right. And uh, <laughs> one of those if you get it wrong. So, and if you get this, if you get the star prize, you get this noise. So uh, I've really, I really gone all out on the budget for this. Uh, so first of all, Fraser, <laughs> can you select questions A or B? Uh, a. A. Okay, so we gave the Fraser family 30 seconds to name five things found in the bathroom. Uh, bath, toothbrush. Well, well, you got to go slow. I've got to do the sound effects. Uh, oh, what? I was, I thought I only had seconds. <laughs> Carry on, sorry. No, no, sorry, no. Charlotte had 30 seconds. You got as much time as you want. Oh, all oh, right. I was I was ready to rattle them off. Hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> toilet paper. Yeah. Two more. Um, toilet paper. Sink. Ah, oh, sink. Yes. Mirror. Mirror. Oh, shame. Uh, yeah, I need one more. Um, um, toothpaste. Have I said that? <laughs> one more chance. <laughs> Bath mat. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry. That's you might, you might, did, did you say toilet? You might have said it earlier on. Yeah, I, when I was rattling through, I said toilet. You said, well, in that case, <laughs> you have, a, have a point for that. So you got them all right, actually. There you go. Five out of five. Well, let's go, champ. Uh, Cheers. So you're now into the final to uh, try and win, uh, I can't remember, something, some family themed prize. Uh, <laughs> So this time, the top five things found in the kitchen. Knives. Uh... I mean, if you've not got knives in your kitchen, what are you up to? But <laughs> don't look um... at me. This is this is the Fraser family. I didn't choose these. <laughs> uh... Kitchen sink. Go. Uh, food. Go. Um. Fridge. 
Oven. Oh, I'm on a roll, eh? Uh, <laughs> Singing them out. Wine. Wine. It's a good answer, but it's a wrong one. It's ambitious. Um, uh, I'm gonna say like dog bowl. That's also very ambitious. <laughs> Uh, we asked the Fraser family five things found in the kitchen. You said dog bull. Our survey says. Uh, so you lost that one. You lost the final. You didn't win the uh, the family theme prize. But Fraser, thank you for playing House of Fraser. Thanks for having me. <laughs> So that was exciting. Right, anyway, back to the quiz. Sorry, back to the interview. The quiz is, uh, quiz is well and truly finished now. Um, so I suppose just to start with, uh, mountain biking is a sport which I suppose a lot of kids own a mountain bike um, when they were a kid or they get they sort of in, they dabble in biking perhaps. But how did you actually get involved in mountain biking specifically? Um. So I feel like when people say mountain biking, you think of like Red Bull Rampage and downhill. Um, you know what I mean? You think of the huge jumps and the the fast pace. So I, I race cross country, which is a bit, you still go down the hill, but you wear Lycra like a road cyclist would. So yeah. it's a bit different. Um, but it has obviously its similarities. You just have to pedal up the hill basically and then go down. But into cycling i started racing when i was actually uh 15 which is quite late for someone to get into a sport um but like you said i, w I was a kid that always had a bike um always rode my bike my best friend all through school he was well into motocross so he always had like jump bikes and built jumps and stuff um so i played at his farm quite a lot when i was a kid spent a lot of time there riding bikes so yeah, I guess I'd always had a, always enjoyed it, but a friend that was, it was actually the friend, it was Mike Thompson, he's called, he was on the British programme for mountain bike, on the development programme, and he, I used to train with him, I wasn't training for anything, but I just used to enjoy going out riding with him, I'd just get battered for like three hours around the woods, um, and each Sunday I'd go out and week by week I would get better, like I was getting better, and he was saying to the his coach out like I'm training this little kid who's um who's, he's actually getting quite fast now and he ended up taking me to my first race when I was 15 yeah um and it was like a northeast round uh I came fifth in under 16s or maybe under four yeah under 16s I think and ever since then like I, went, I loved it went to the next one came fifth like I started doing well and then it was at the end at the end of that year. So I started at the start of the year. At the end of that year, I got a coach, um, Mark Grange, and he coached me for my first year. It must have been under fourteen. My first race was, I think. So I can't have been fifteen. Um, but maybe fifteen's in my head when I got the coach and started taking it seriously. Um, but yeah, so fifteen, I was like, oh, like I'll want to get good at this. Like I really enjoy racing um so yeah and then i think first year 
I was getting like, I think my best result in under 16s was 10th in the UK, like in the British scene. And then first year junior, I won my first under, I won my first national title as a first year junior, hmm. um, which for me was quite a big, was a huge thing. It was a pretty freaky win as well. I was in third position, not really doing that well. Well, I was in third in the, on the last lap. And the two guys in front of me went to overtake each other and crashed and I ended up winning. Um, so that was a bit of a freak win. But so, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I got onto the GB development program on the as a junior. Then went full time when I was 18. Moved to Manchester with the GB program. Um, was there for three years training, doing racing with the GB trips. Um, which was class, amazing experience, and then moved up through the 23 ranks, and now I'm in the elite ranks. So, yeah, it's been a journey for sure. But sorry, I've rambled on there quite a lot. But um, oh no, um, so I give like a, ba- give yeah, a background no, of the that's, journey that's, kind of thing. That's uh, that's perfect. Yeah, and uh, that that journey's obviously gone very well for you. Um, like you mentioned you mentioned competing on different levels, but you've been very successful at those as well. So you've had those. I think I think you told me earlier was, was it six national titles. Um, in a row across different age groups and yeah, so absolutely, yeah. So ever since that first uh, national title, uh, first year uh, junior, um, each year after that, I've won every national title, um, which for me I think is quite um, like I'm impressed with myself, kind of thing. Like I, I wouldn't have put myself as someone to do that because I've had years where I've been injured at the start of the year and. You know, to do that consecutively, um, I'm really proud of. Um, and w- won my first elite title when I was in under 23. Um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a really good journey, for sure. Obviously, with its setbacks, as everyone every athlete will experience. Well, yeah, of course. Then you've taken that national success, and then in GB colours, you've had some success on the world stage, um, and probably. Probably the maybe the highlight of that would be the Commonwealth Games of England, perhaps. Uh, and I know you came, you came fifth. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So I mean, taking that into account and the success you've had at British level and the success you've now had, sort of in other championships. What are your realistic expectations ahead of the Tokyo Olympics? Um, I mean, realistically, there's a so there's another person who's also. I'm actually not even sure if GB have a spot. It's actually, everyone thinks it's, you turn up at the Olympics and like it's, oh, every, even I thought when I was younger, like you just presume if you're good enough, you'd go. Yeah. But you needed enough points to even get a spot at the Olympics first before you can go. Okay. So with GB, the depth in GB mountain bike isn't, isn't that deep. So there's only me and one other lad that's scoring points in the elite ranks, uh, which compared to say someone like, Switzerland, Germany, like they have eight, nine, ten people scoring points. Um, so it's quite hard to get a spot. So I think there is a chance we will get one. Um, and if we do get one, um, whether I get it or not, I'm not too sure. But personally, my aim isn't on Olympics. I think if I'm when I if I get to the point where I'm good enough to win it, like I'll I'll be guaranteed a spot because I'll have enough points because I'll be at the top level anyway so okay. um that's kind of how i see it i see it if, it it'd be amazing if i could go 
um, and experience it. But I wouldn't be going to win for sure because I'm not I'm not there yet. Um, quite honestly. Um, so perhaps so is your is your is your sight more set perhaps in four years' time? Yeah, I would say so. Paris in 2024 would be realistic for sure. Yeah, um, and I think in the meantime, I would, my, my aim is to move up the elite ranks internationally. Um, and to do that, you need the support of obviously the, the federation. We're lucky to have a really good federation, um, GB cycling team. And um, also you need, need a pro team to support you um, with bikes and financially and things like that. So, yeah, and that's yeah. interesting actually because uh, you mentioned cycling is a strange sport because you have um, and this goes, I believe, for road, um, not so much track, but particularly road and mountain. You have the idea that you've got your professional teams, which kind of own mm. you or they support you for so much of the year, and then also you obviously have the GB programs as well. So, how does that time get divided in your case between your country and your pro team? Um. I mean, it's probably easy to understand, say, with football, the players play for, say, Man United, but they would also, if they race, if, if they play international, they play for the country kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's a bit different in cycling, whereas you can actually race the World Cups for your federation, so for GB cycling team, if you don't have a professional team. So it's a bit different in that case. Um but world champs, European champs, you race for GB. Um, me this year, I've just signed for a um, pro team. So any, the majority of my races are race for the pro team other than the major events. Okay. Um, so the the time is, is mostly on the pro team um, and, until the major events, basically, which is strange because you'd think if you build a good relationship with the pro team, they'd have the best support for the major events, you know, but yeah, um, that's just how it goes. Okay. And I mean, is there support mostly financial and equipment wise, or is it, do you train together as a team? Yeah. So um, I've actually, I'd say I train more with the, the GB boys. Um, purely because they will still be at the races they speak English and I train with them at home sometimes so the yeah. connections for training there are, are a lot stronger with the GB riders um, but in and around races yeah if I'm staying with the team I'll train with the teammates if they've got similar training um, obviously within the team there isn't a team coach so we all have individual coaches so we'll have different sessions to do before a race maybe so it maybe won't always align um but yeah okay um that makes sense yeah no, it does make sense yeah and it, it is interesting that i always find that that division particularly in a sport like yours where it's an individual sport um and as i know for a fact your team is uh well i know they're foreign that's as far as i've got so it's uh yeah. jb is it jb uh is it brune or brunex Brunex, Brunex yeah. Superior Factory Racing. So, as I said, you've got, the, you've got the language barrier, and of course, you still live in England. Yeah. So, traditionally, you'd imagine you'd want to be based in other sports. Say, like if Man United, you tend to live and train with near or around Man United. Um, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't be based in another country, which is interesting. So, obviously, a lot of your training, then, for must must 
by default be individuals or with other teammates so it's a slightly strange dynamic I suppose when they own you and you're contracted to them but you're not fully engaged on a day-to-day basis yeah it is strange you're right and I've never actually thought about it really it's just been so um so normal to me that's what everyone does in mountain biking um but yeah it is strange when you look at it really um but yeah I think it will it will be a new experience me with the team I had I signed for a pro team in 2018 um but that was an English team so there was no language barrier there was nothing and it was a much smaller scale so there wasn't much commitments there really um whereas this year the team's a bit of a bigger scale they've got a race calendar um there's more commitments there so yeah it uh, it will be interesting definitely the team speak german i speak english i don't know much german so I'm, i'll see how that pans out um but i'm also very excited to build new connections with um yeah new people and i'm sure it'd be great um if well, the yeah. lang- if the language barrier isn't um too much yeah, well, yeah, it must be exciting, yeah, just to have that. I'm sure it's probably a team that will bring a lot of wealth and experience, so that can really boost your, mm. um, said your ambitions. You said you're looking ahead to the Olympics in four years' time, um, and obviously many other events in the meantime. But to have that set up where you've got more more support and more sort of more experience coming from that team can only be good for your career. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um... And from what I've seen, I've not um, met any, I've met them briefly, um, but I've not met them properly yet. Um, they look like a really close-knit team, really good characters. So, yeah. Great. And and then- I just wanted to add there, I wanted to add there real quick, it's strange actually with mountain biking, how um, you kind of need the team to progress in the sport. Like you need the pro team to progress, but um, the Olympics, the team, the team's ambitions have no, the team has no ambitions for the Olympics. They're purely like World Cups orientated. So all the money that's generated from the team is through sponsorship of from the World Cups. So, but um, to go to the Olympics, you can't really get there without the support from the team. So it's a strange dynamic how like you kind of need them, but they don't, um, they've got no interest in the Olympics. Yeah. Does it, um, does I'm, that ever lead to describe that very well, but. No, no, I think you have, and I think I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I was going to actually say, does that lead to some fractious relationships at times? Because obviously certain riders are going to have slightly different ambitions. So you are you might be thinking more international. You might have sometimes the year, maybe you're thinking, I want to do a long, obviously you're very new into this relationship, but you might be thinking, I want to do a long training camp ahead of an Olympics. And they're thinking, we want you to be racing or we want you to be doing promo stuff for us. Did you hear from other riders that can lead to some some issues? Um, yeah, I think it maybe could, but it's something if you were signing for them, you'd have to discuss before you signed. I think. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's tough, but if you've already signed and then you start running into those problems, I mean, you should have read the contract, I guess. But um, know what you're signing up for. But yeah, I'm sure that that could well happen. But then, if say if you are good enough to win the Olympics, it's in the best, it's in the team's best interest. If you win the Olympics, that's massive for the team, even though it's not something that they would maybe be aiming for. If that comes along with you, like that's huge. So it can't be, it's definitely not overlooked. It's just not, uh, not the main factor, not the main aim. 
Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. All these, all these Olympic sports, bar the few exceptions, the Olympics is what grows your personal brand. So if you yeah. succeed in the Olympics, um, or if you get to Olympics full stop, that adds value to you. And then if the team sort of own you, if you like, in a, in a professional cycling sense, then they, they will benefit yeah. from your career growing. So yeah, I suppose it's a bit of a, it's mutually beneficial. If you benefit, if they help you succeed the Olympics and then you succeed and it draws more money to them and then that money can get filtered down to you. Yeah. So it's a bit of yeah, a, sure. kind of goes both ways. Um, and I suppose finally on this sort of subject of sort of the team divide with sort of GB and pro cycling, um, financially, does this enable you to be a full-time professional athlete? Yeah, so I'm actually fortunate enough. A lot of uh, other countries um, don't have the support. GB is very lucky. Um, I'm actually lottery funded through UK Sport and uh, obviously lottery. Um, so I'm I was I have been full time since I was 18 through GB. Okay. Um, so this is the team um, has just opened up more opportunities. Um, slightly financially, I can invest into myself a lot more. Um, buy equipment that maybe I'm not sponsored with um, that still helps massive for training um, and also yeah set up for the set up the future I guess because um, yeah it's like if if I was going to make athlete and being an athlete my only job um, I think you have to make quite a lot of money to not do anything afterwards well sure. yeah, so, yeah and it's quite um, it's quite good you're switched on to be thinking long term perhaps beyond the yeah beyond the career of your body as such to have that long-term plan is obviously quite yeah for sure by no means am i like money driven or anything like that um but i just think you have to make the most of the opportunity given so well you do yeah and you're in a position now when obviously you you, you train hard and you train long days but equally you do have perhaps more time to invest in stuff than say someone who works a nine to five job you've got those more opportunities mm. so if you can do what you can to further your experience now whether that be in education or just building your cv or investing money or whatever it is to prepare you for the future it makes a lot of sense because they may well yeah. come a time when whether that be through injury which obviously is a theme of this podcast or whether that be through just just age or whatever you're you're going to need that time and you might not have less, you might have a lot less time in the future than you have now in some regards. So yeah, I think that's good that you're switched on in that regard. Yeah. Cheers. But uh, so changing tack slightly, we're going to go into more the sport itself and the injuries associated with it. My fairly limited experience of mountain biking was, um, have you ever heard of the Hearn Hill velodrome in South London? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah, so I went down there when I was a kid. I don't live too far from there. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a massive concrete outdoor velodrome, um, which is uh, which is as lethal as it sounds. So if you come off your bike on a massive concrete velodrome, it bloody hurts. Um, and I think it was, I'm trying to remember my knowledge now, I think it was, uh, was it the London Olympics back in the 70s? Um, it was it was built for a major competition and but anyway so regardless for the point of this conversation next to it there's a mountain biking uh trail which is obviously quite prominent for those cyclists in south london and the surrounding areas and i went down there for a training camp for a couple of weeks 
And anyone who knows me knows I struggle a lot with balance and cycling really isn't my forte, but I did give it a go. And the one thing that really stood out for me in attempting to complete the course was a lot about mental, the mental side of it. And you spoke about sports psychology earlier on, but I suppose when you, when it comes to track cycling, it was all about basically all about power and strength and determination, et cetera. Um, road cycling, there's obviously there's tactics involved, but again, it's a lot about the physical capabilities. I feel like mountain biking and that cross country style is a lot about uh, perhaps overcoming that fear. So it's, very tight, very tight courses, um, lots of bushes or, you know, jumps that can lead to crashes. And there's a lot of needing to be very composed and very relaxed when you're doing so. So so how do you work on that mental side of, of the game? Um, I mean, if you were say to just go and work on it, I think it'd be very hard. It's, it's super hard. And I think, to be honest, when I was younger, peer pressure, as bad as it sounds, was massive because sometimes if you don't want to do something, but you just mates just peer pressure you into doing a jump and you do it and then it, you're actually OK. Like that realisation of like, well, it was just in my head. I'm OK is massive. Like you learn so much from that. So I think doing stuff like that as a kid. Um, yeah, you get used to overcoming fears. It's like anything. Um, the more you do it, the more you get used to it. So if you're always pushing boundaries and always getting used to overcoming things, then the level of what an object is in front of you gets smaller, if that makes sense, and you can overcome bigger things easier. Um, so, yeah. Um, but I think at the moment, like now I've got to a point where it's more like, do I want to risk it? Because I've trained so hard to become so fit that, doing something stupid and crashing would knock so much off my fitness. Yeah. Whereas as a kid, as a kid, I was just pure, pure fearless, you know, I'll chuck myself down anything. Whereas now I've built up that um, fitness and worked so hard for it that it's like, Oh, well, it's like a different type of fear. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, no, it, it does. Yeah. Your, 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 your fear is more of the, the future implications and the, yeah the damages that come with that as opposed to a fear that's purely this is going to hurt i think remember yeah, I yeah, first went sure. it. and i was at that awkward age i think i think if you're very young and it's interesting because you you were at a somewhat awkward age or no i know that you mentioned your your friend had access to certain jumps and stuff but i think if you're very young and you get involved in it then you at that young you at the age when you can you just it becomes innate almost. It just becomes part of you to be able to do those sort of things. But I was at the yeah. awkward age where I, I had the yeah. fear, but not really the confidence. So I think I'd have been, gosh, I trying to remember now, probably about maybe like 11 or 12 when I attempted it. Yeah, and that's when you need the peer pressure. That's when you need the peer pressure. Yeah, maybe I didn't have that enough of that. <laughs> but I, uh, <laughs> I, um, I, was gonna say, I, I, I don't know. I had, I had a few minor injuries. I remember I came off a couple of times. Uh, luckily I think it was quite a rainy day so the ground was quite soft but yeah you get you know get scrapes knees and you know your bruise here and there but nothing major have you had any sort of major injuries down the line yeah <laughs> yeah I have actually the biggest injury I've had was actually from snowboarding which um seems strange seeing I spend most of my time uh cycling yeah 
Um, but yeah, that was actually the last time I snowboarded. We used to go on a family holiday um, every winter um, to the Alps, which I was fortunate to do. And it was just when I was maybe maybe 16 or 17, just kind of starting to take my stuff seriously. The week after the holiday, I had a training camp um, in Wales with a team. So obviously my coach was like, look, yeah, you go on the holiday. Um, it's like a tradition. Always have done, um, but just don't hurt yourself. And then the last run of the last day of the holiday, classic. Um, just basically, we, we we were all, I'd say, like quite good snowboarders. Um, we were doing some off pace and it was super foggy and we didn't, we didn't, we got, yeah, we didn't really know where we were going. I basically just fell two stories, like the size of a two story building onto the piece, which is like concrete. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if you've ever been skiing before, but the piece uh, where I they bash it. My, my, my balance is too poor to even contemplate any sort yeah. of snow-based activity. But <laughs> I, I know what you mean though, yeah. Yeah, so it was just super hard and I basically just had a huge impact and my knee, my, I can't remember if it was left or right, uh, knee just exploded and it was like bruised cartilage, cracked the top of the fibula, sprained ACL. Um, so that took a bit of obviously missed the training camp, <laughs> missed quite a bit of training after that. Um, but that was like a realization for me. That was like when I realized how much I missed the training and how much I missed riding my bike. I was like, oh, that, that's actually you know what I mean. It was that like motivated me. That was like, oh, I actually really want to do this now. Um, from yeah, yeah, and that's interesting as well, I suppose, um, because having to perhaps prioritize your sport above other things because you know for a while yeah, that's it, yeah. Uh, i said yeah like skiing and snowboarding have inherent injury risks um and i suppose people before some on the podcast who have say been you know they've been rugby players but they've injured themselves playing football or they're boxers and they've hurt themselves you know on their bike and so on so sometimes you've got to just prioritize your sport and take as much of a risk as you can out of your life yeah, yeah, that's it, um, for sure. But I think there's a, a fine line for sure because um, I've also spent a lot of time where all I've done is ridden my bike and it's almost depressing. Like you don't see anyone, you just ride your bike, train, rest, and then you get like two, three months down the line, you're like, damn, I've, I've actually not, you know what I mean? You feel like you miss out a lot on just social and doing things and being active and outdoors. And, you know, I guess it's like if you went to work and didn't have a hobby some people maybe that's okay but for me like I feel like I would always need other things in my life than my main focus um my brain is always very active yeah so yeah I like a lot of variety in my life Uh, yeah well yeah that makes sense and um I I certainly agree with that um so that, that was an injury you had away from the bike have you had any interesting injuries on the bike or do you know of teammates or competitors you've seen have yeah. sort of injuries on bikes so i've had obviously the classic like uh crashes like split your knee like cuts on knees and elbows and shoulders um i had the i've had a reoccurring injury actually i've had two or three times maybe the tendonitis i spoke of earlier at the start of 2020 yeah um it's been a big learning curve for me um having that reoccur more than once um basically it happened uh was in the in the 
time where I was changing coaches. I didn't have a coach at the time. And I just finished my four or five weeks off season at the end of, at the end of the year. And I was getting back into training. I was in Australia, super hot weather. Um, and I just went from doing nothing, just chilling on the beach for four weeks to um, just doing 20 hours a week on the bike, just four hours um, on the road bike. Just being like, oh, I'll just build some fitness back. And then with, I did 20 hours for the first two weeks of training. And then my knee just stopped working. Um, like the hamstring tendon just yeah stopped working I just couldn't move my leg for, well I could move it but it was just so painful mm. for ages and I had physio over there I was paying for it and it was costing so much money like private physio and um, yeah I just ended, I ended up cutting my trip short coming back to Manchester to CGB and they got it sorted super quick um, yeah so that's been a, an annoying one. Well, not annoying. I've actually learned to look after my body a lot more because I just was riding my bike, not doing anything else. Um, so after that, I started doing yoga two, three, sometimes four times a week. Um, okay. Really got into it. Really enjoy yoga. Um, yoga with Adrian actually on YouTube. If if anyone's looking for a yoga class, she's great. Um, and yeah, just basically that's it yoga set me straight and just doing some car just topping up on the car work okay great yeah um well, yeah so that's really interesting because i said that's one of the themes of this podcast which is kind of learning from mistakes and learning from mm. injuries and setbacks so in your case it became a lot more about just yeah just understanding and all the elements that need to go into looking after your body and so many people focus purely on one thing whether that be strength training or running or cycling and it can become quite easy to forget that there's a lot of elements that go into this and said yoga i mean you're not the first guest who's mentioned getting really into yoga to help them um yeah so i i personally got very into like rolling and stretching and yeah all those kind of elements which are so easy to neglect and if you do so you so often regret it like in your like in your case i suppose so so I suppose on that subject, what's your normal training schedule look like in terms of divide between um, gym, road training, mountain training, and then also after that, kind of what's your split between UK and foreign time? Yeah, sure. Um, that's a good question. So at the moment, say so I'm just doing general training and nothing too crazy. I have Mondays off. Um every week I think it's good to have a routine day off I used to do like three days on one day off and so then my day off would always be different and I found it really hard to plan like if I'm going to see someone if I'm going to do something I'll just have that like scheduled like it's almost like Monday I just switch off if I I can make plans I can go do something with you know have a social time so Monday's my day off and then I've got two gym sessions a week. One's like, uh, I don't have much weight at the moment in my house, at my house. So one's like a key lifting session. So like heavy weights, but it's just more reps basically. Then the second one is more mobility based and some balance stuff. I made like a little balance board. I've got like a medicine ball with a plywood on top that I balance on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm learning to juggle and stuff. So that's, I've been adding stuff like that into my training, that second gym session. I also run twice a week. 
Um, just 5k, pretty steady. Um, but I think that's really good cross training. I think it really sorts you back out, I feel. Um, that variety of just being upright instead of leaning over on a bike. Yeah. Um, really, really good for the glutes as well. And then I do two road sessions or maybe one indoor session and one longer road ride. And then I'll do one mountain bike specific session like on the cross on the cross country bike which is either like efforts or just a longer ride or um and then i'll do one enduro session so i've got like an enduro bike which is more downhill focused and if i could i'd ride with the the local lads um on a sunday and do the enduro session with them as like a social and a training so um yeah that's pretty much everything covered with the training. Nothing is, I don't really do anything that's like crazy. It's all pretty simple, straightforward. Um, just a bit of everything, to be honest. And does that um, change in the run up to a major event? So, say in the two months prior to the Commonwealth Games, how did you train ahead of that? Um, ahead of that, I had a different coach uh, back then. So, I was actually working slightly differently, but I was in. The preparation for Commonwealth Games, I was in South Africa actually racing a World Cup. There was a World Cup in Stellenbosch, just near Cape Town. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was went there early before the race because it's re- amazing training around there. Um, like some of the best, uh, personally, I think some of the best um, trails for cross-country bikes in the world that I've ridden. So um, I love going there. I've also my dad's South African as well, so I've also got a bit of family in Cape Town, so it's always nice, oh, nice. to go spend time there when possible. Um, but yeah, so I was in South Africa for maybe three weeks before the Commonwealth Games. A lot of people went to the World Cup and then flew home to the UK from South Africa and flew to Australia. Yeah. Um, but I chose to. I just paid, stayed on myself and just paid for like an Airbnb for ten days. Um, just so I only did like the one long haul flight. Um, so yeah, I just, I spent, yeah, South Africa in the heat as well, which was, I think helped a lot because everyone went from hot to cold to the UK and then back to hot, whereas I just stayed hot the whole time um, mm. from South Africa to Australia. And then the training wise, I was just doing sh- like, I basically just dropped the volume off a bit. So do less hours do more high intensity um yeah but it's strange like that because commonwealth games you think is a, a huge deal but it's more coverage than it feels if that makes sense so like at the race say a world cup you've got 150 people on the start line at commonwealth games there was maybe like i think 13 people on the start line okay so like but the, the, the quality of the field at commonwealth games like is just as high as the front of a World Cup. Like the quality is super high. There's just no depth. Yeah. Um, because it's so hard. To, there's only so many countries in the Commonwealth Games, and it's so hard to get there. Like you, you need the points for the spot, and things like that. So it's similar to Olympics. I think there's only like 45, 45 people in the Olympic race, whereas in a World Cup there's one hundred and fifty. So like it feels so much smaller, but the quality is just as high. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you, you reeled off a bunch of countries earlier on that excel in 
mountain biking. None of them are in the Commonwealth Games. So you mentioned like, That's it, yeah, like Germany and yeah, and yeah. So I mean, I suppose it makes sense. So that field is going to be lacking that depth. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah. so I mean, I've gone. I've gone a bit off topic there with the training. Sorry. Um, yeah. No. No. Finish off. I've got nothing. To, I've said everything I said. I just uh, went on a time. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough then um no great so i suppose to round off this section on your your mountain biking career uh how about you give us say three highlights from your career so far yeah okay so i'd say actually the first one that came to mind was the olympic test event in 2019 i got to go to Japan and race the Olympic test event which was super cool I've never been to Japan before so that was an amazing experience um, and also get to pre-ride the Olympic horse which was super cool um, second I would say Commonwealth Games that's my first mate like multi-sport event I've been to every every other competition I've been to is just cycling, whereas that was obviously every sport that's in the Commonwealth Games, so that was crazy. Um, so many athletes in the village, like the 24-hour food hall. Yeah, it was super cool. Um, get to experience, it was in the Gold Coast in Australia. Get to experience that, that was super cool. Actually met my current girlfriend there, so. Oh, wow, okay. Um, yeah, that was cool. Um, number three, the term, um, the term, the term "current girlfriend" is always quite a funny one. It always suggests there's like, a, <laughs> it's like at the moment they're my girlfriend, but it's like you're not really, you're not really tied down. You're not, uh, you're not, you're not. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> this one, this one is my girlfriend now. Uh, <laughs> but you know, there's there's scope for change. <laughs> Nah, there's there's not. We get on really well actually, and she's obviously um, living with me now in the UK. She's moved from Australia, not moved full time. Um, she's, I don't know. She'd probably say she's on holiday or something, but she's been here for a few months now. So, um, yeah. Um, third, I don't know. Third was the question experience or what? What was the specific? Just what, just three three highlights. Yeah, from that career. Three highlights. I would say the people you meet for me like is massive. I've met some super cool people that if I was doing anything else, I wouldn't have met them. Um, people from like I've made good friends from people, obviously um, Australia. I've met people from New Zealand, like yeah. That I think I don't know if I was ever to go traveling or I don't know. It's just I think it's cool to have to to know people not from just. Whitby like where I live you know I think it's really cool that I can meet people and see how they live I lived with two people in two uh, riders in Germany for two weeks and see how they live in Germany and things like that like just experience different things I think it's um, super cool super cool and that's part of the reason why I love the traveling and the racing like just the experience of the whole thing the people you meet um, the adrenaline of the racing the traveling um, yeah is a massive part of it for me. And the, um, the, the, yeah, the, trav- the traveling itself must be fantastic as well. I mean, when you're sure when you get to end your career and you look back, there'll be so many amazing places you've been to. I mean, you just mentioned Cape Town, Tokyo, Gold Coast, yeah. Germany, 
Whitby. So just a list of amazing places <laughs> you've been and experienced. And, yeah. Uh, I suppose, yeah, long-term, whatever you do post-cycling, those experiences must be fantastic. Yeah, definitely. And I think it was different in the fact that, say, if you went travelling to all those places with a backpack on, you'd see maybe a bit some the different stuff. You'd, like, see more of it, I guess, because you wouldn't be tied down to training. But I think even the fact that um, it's essentially my, my job and then I can still experience, like, part of it as well, and see the amazing views like I've seen some crazy views that the average person wouldn't see just because I'm on a bike and I'm traveling through the mountains yeah. um staying in the things like that so um but yeah, also I suppose I you're like you're like in a shopping window so you can see all these places now and then when you retire or when you get time off you can always go back to some of these places and then see them as a tourist but you can get a yeah, little snap, yeah. snapshot of the whole world almost for your career which yeah is, which is, uh, which is rare in many other ways. One other thing, actually, that springs to mind, you talk about multi-sport events, and I suppose, do, do you find, is Team team GB Cycling one quite close-knit team at these events? So would you be having lunch with, um, you know, the Kennys or Philip Hines or something like that, or do you find, you know, the <laughs> mountain bikers stick together and the road cyclists stick together and so on? Uh, yeah, you... We kind of in say in Commonwealth Games we kind of stuck to our sport because even with within the sport you've got like the support team and you've, we've maybe got like I don't know ten people so that's quite a big dinner table already you know yeah. just within the sport. Um, so I mean if if you were sat with the track team or the road team, I mean it wouldn't make too much difference because you'd still probably only speak to the group you sat around. Yeah. Um, yeah for sure you, you can mingle and yeah we would we would speak to them but it wouldn't be organised um, um, yeah if you got if you get on with them you spend time with them and it was actually quite cool to be fair in Commonwealth Games we were um, I was just put into a apartment with the road guys so like I was just with them and then okay um yeah, so like I was like, oh, like they were doing loads of loads of races and stuff like that, and they were like, oh, how'd you get on? And it was just cool, like how they were like they were doing their race, but I was doing my race, but it was completely different. But we we're in the same apartment just by chance. Well, that's um, nice, yeah. Yeah, and you just meet different people from different sports. I think that was quite cool. With the yeah, what was events. the um? Obviously, you you were very much focused on your event, but I'm sure you managed to see some other stuff as well. What was that? Was there any sort of sports or people you met that were a bit random that you actually quite enjoyed when you were there? Um, you know what? I'm not actually sure because you need tickets for all the events. So I didn't actually see any of the um, anything live, I don't think. Okay. Which is a shame. Is a shame thinking about it, but uh, that's just how it goes. Like the, I think you, you have to get tickets so early for these things. Of course, um, yeah. So it's not something I, I really thought about. Um, yeah. So what was the question again? Sorry. <laughs> no, you kind of answered. I'm just saying, is there any sort of rogue sport you came across, which was quite cool, but I suppose if you couldn't go to the event, you Yeah, no. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, nothing really. Yeah, nothing too saying, crazy. I love the idea you of you just sort of stumbling into the lawn bowls finals and coming along bowls nah, fan or they, or the volleyball they fan. were um 
there was two long ball players that were huge though. They were always getting interviewed. They were always on TV. It was like an older couple for England. They were smashing it, I think. Yeah, they were always behind. They were always behind the cameras. Okay. It's funny you say that. Hogging all the yeah. hogging all the limelight. Yeah. Okay, so if we draw a line, I suppose there underneath your your cycling career, yes. and then just just for you to finish off, if we go into your your new venture, which obviously is running alongside um, your your cycling as you go now, and I believe you recently started your own clothing line, uh, well, co-founded yeah, one. So tell me a little bit about about yeah. that and sort of the aims behind that and how that's going. Um, so it's called the Rig Clothing. Um, the rig the name was inspired by it's me and my best mate that I spoke about earlier that I used to hang out with and uh, ride bikes with when we were younger um, so he's the, he's the other um, guy that's running it with me and the rig is like the the first mountain bike trail that we kind of used to do all the time like that was like the local like after school we'd to go and ride the rig um, it's like it's been it's actually not as good as it used to be to be fair it's been like track um, smoothing down with erosion and things like that but yeah we'd always used to go up there and we had like a little we put a nail up there at the top of the hill and we used to tally into the rocks like how many times like if you go up you tally one and over the summer we'd count up how many times you'd go up it was like a competition who could go to the top the most times right okay um, so that was like where we got the name from um, and yeah it's just the brand itself is just about people who are active um, the logo is obviously a mountain um that's both what we love we love the outdoors inspired by things like that so but at the moment to be honest the the time i'm putting into it it's more like a hobby i wouldn't say it's a business no um my friend where obviously you need a bit quite a bit of space for stock so he's currently moving into his own house so we kind of put it on hold for a few months at the moment just whilst he gets settled in that and then we can start working um things out again um but yeah it's very at the moment it's very small scale but yeah i just kind of i like the uh, he he it was his idea actually he just said oh do you want to start a brand i think it'd be really cool um and i was like yeah that, I'd, I'd be keen on that i think um we both enjoy the same things both got a good vision um but been best friends since we're kids so work well together um yeah well great now, have you got an ambition for where you want that that sort of clothing line to go or is it just purely a purely a hobby at the moment yeah purely a hobby I, I wouldn't say if I could make a living out of it or that'd be cool but I think purely a hobby and I think obviously clothing is massive online at the moment and I think looking into like recycled clothing and minimal waste is huge so I think there's definitely a lot of research to be done and there's definitely opportunity for some good ideas to be uh, to be made for sure so it's, it is a hobby at the moment but i do also like the idea of because i like the clothes that we design so like i wear them myself i'm not currently wearing it i should be but <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. great and, and 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 yeah so if people want to find out more about that where can they go um the website is online the rig.co.uk um or the link I'm not sure I actually throw the links in my bio and on Instagram, but yeah, the rig, um, the rig clothing online. Okay, great. With so, two Gs. Two Gs. Okay. So everyone can go and check that out when they get a chance. Um, so yeah. to finish, I think we've dealt very well with your career in cycling and said in this new sort of venture you've done with your, your clothing line. 
Um, we always finish off with this any other business, which is a great chance for us to talk about anything that interests you from the world of sport or the news or publicity or anything else you want to talk about. So is there anything that springs to mind? Um, not, not massively here. Like, I don't know, there's obviously a lot going on in the news at the moment, but um, I feel like if you speak to anyone, that's all you talk about. So, um, yeah, I know. I think we're all... Uh... Little coronavirus out, I suppose. I know and, it's crazy. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I was actually going to ask. I was thinking, I don't actually know much about you, and I was wondering, like, what do you, what do you do? <laughs> I hope you don't mind me asking. <laughs> no, no, of course. I don't know if the, I don't know if the viewers know or what, but I actually don't know much about you, so I was quite interested. Okay, yeah, no, well, I haven't spoken too much about me in general. Um, we are actually planning at some point in the future to do an episode about me. So someone else will, oh, I've will play. I've interrupted. No, no, no. Someone else will be me, <laughs> and I will uh, be the. I'll be in your shoes for the day. Um, but yeah, just very yeah. briefly, I'm a clinical pharmacist. Um, so I work for Hospital Trust in England. Um, so I'm currently in intensive yeah. care and uh, COVID wards. So oh, very, uh, very busy. As the you one. really are COVID. Yeah, yeah. We're full, really are full, uh, full PPE and. Um, and yeah, of the sort of controlling the sort of the drug use and antibiotic regimes and so on for patients who are on COVID, uh, COVID wards and particularly ITU at the moment. Um, and and yeah, like it's uh, I agree actually. It's, it's all everyone talks about at the moment. And when you spend all day doing that, the last thing you want to do is talk about it. Talk about it afterwards. Yeah, I can imagine that, that's that. what I do during the day, and it's one of the probably rare growth industries during the pandemic which is a healthcare so yeah. we've been very busy and apart from that I I, I love sport and that was the inspiration behind this podcast so I play um, yeah. I play hockey it's my, probably my main sport at the moment oh, nice. but I also do um I dabbled in rugby I did a little bit of rowing back at university and I you know enjoy gym and swimming and all sorts really and I've had this really good base in yeah. sport so growing up I did very different sports and, and it's been hard because so it's interesting obviously you've had you do a lot of your sports are outdoors but obviously because you're elite you've been given certain exceptions but people like me who are just you know average average athletes or like an average level so much the year has been disrupted by no sport and that's been really hard so normally my evenings would be filled in the gym or in the swimming pool etc but in an attempt to try and fill those gaps and fill that boredom I found myself uh, starting this podcast so I'm spending time talking to interesting people like yourself that's cool and yeah it just fills my evenings and similar to you really it's a bit of, bit of a hobby so um yeah. so i've now done sort of coming up towards about 20 episodes and um at some point obviously i'll take a break and at some point hopefully in the not too distant future i'll be able to go to the gym again and suddenly my my evenings will be very busy but for now i've got all this free time so see how it goes if it leads somewhere that's fantastic if it it doesn't then it's just something really for the time but but yeah so that's uh that's me in a nutshell really no that was super interesting that's good to hear thanks for that <laughs> you're, you're welcome but um yeah so to finish <laughs> up really just let everyone know where they can find out more about yourself me uh <laughs> you can find me at the fish and chip shop at whitby <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> on, on the social, social. Insta- 
yeah, Instagram at Fraser Clackety. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, I'm not really massive into any other social, to be honest. Um, I don't use Facebook massively, so yeah, Instagram is the main one. Um, even to be fair, yeah, the way the world is modern modern day, I feel like I should be a lot better on the socials. Um, it's easy to slack. I feel like, uh, yeah, you can def- like you can make content. Hey, but I'm so lazy. Like if nothing's happening, I won't post anything. So yeah, yeah it might be looking a bit dry, but I'm still behind the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting actually. Um, I had a guest on a few weeks ago called Tom Squires, who's a he's an Olympic or he will be an Olympic windsurfer this year. Um, oh, so you never know. One day you might share a table at some Olympic. Uh, <laughs> Olympic food hall um but yeah he and he talks a lot about the benefits to athletes really promoting themselves on social media because yeah, it's huge. sports it's like huge. yourself sports like yourself the media doesn't always come to you sometimes you've got to really put yourself out there and yeah talk sure. about long-term um sort of post-competing and finances and everything that comes with that you know just trying to grow because so I reached out to you and it's fantastic you had the time to talk to me but I'm sure more people would love to talk to you and hear your story and particularly as your career develops having that social media platform is fantastic but I really would implore anyone listening to go and check out your Instagram because I think you're going to have an interesting career in the years to come and I certainly will be following that quite closely and I think some of the guests should as uh, some of the listeners should as well because hopefully in a well, in three years time we'll see you involved in the olympic games and hopefully pick up lots of accolades on the way to that yeah that'd be amazing that'd be amazing and so, yeah thanks for having me on you're very welcome yes yeah, so all that leaves me to say is just thanks for joining me and uh and yeah good luck for the future yeah i appreciate it thank you very much Great to chat to Fraser there. The episode was obviously recorded some time ago. And whilst I was editing it, it was strange to reflect on what has changed in the last few months. And perhaps the highlighted optimism which now exists with the return to sport now imminent. I should once again thank Fraser for his time and wish him all the luck for the rest of the season. Now that I have my new bike, I'm hoping I could join him in Whitby for perhaps a little bike ride and some of those fish and chips. Remember to check him out on social media, which is at Fraser Clackety. And of course, there'll be plenty of information all about him over on the Instagram page, which is at hips underscore and underscore dips of a Z. If you haven't already, remember to go and follow it because there's some great content on there. In other news, it was announced earlier this week that international fans would not be allowed to attend the upcoming Olympics in Tokyo, which is, of course, a real shame for competitors and their families especially for those first-time Olympians like some of my previous guests. However, I must say it did have a sense of inevitability about it. I was saying with Kaylee a few weeks back that the Japanese are more than capable of generating an amazing atmosphere themselves. They've got a good reputation for supporting all nations, not only their own. So if they're allowed to attend, then I'm sure there'll still be a great atmosphere for the Olympics. In the comments section to this article, I was... Founding, finding some quite interesting common threads. A lot of people left comments like, it was my lifelong ambition to go and see the Olympics, or my golden life was always to go and see the Olympics live, or I've always waited my whole life to go to the Olympics and see the swimming, these kind of comments. I find this concept really alien. I love watching live sport, of course, 
but I find it strange that your ambition is to go and see someone else achieve their ambition. Maybe it's the athlete in me, but my ambitions are to achieve things for myself. Might be complete an Ironman, win a trophy, earn a certain amount of money, whatever your motivators are. But to be motivated by watching people achieve their ambition just seems a bit strange. You see a lot of grown men who say things like, uh, the highlight of my life was seeing Liverpool win the Champions League. I mean, I have prominent sporting moments I've enjoyed. I remember seeing South Africa win the Rugby World Cup or Ireland winning the Grand Slam um, or big moments from London 2012, big sport, big football games. Plenty of moments really stand out as being real highlights. But for it to be the best moment of your life or your lifelong ambition, for me, it seems a little bit, a little bit strange. I, I surely you should make your own history, not watch someone else make theirs. But maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe I'm completely off the boil. Regardless, we're all chomping at the bit to get back to some sort of sport. And I can't wait to experience that kind of atmosphere again. So on that note, remember to stay optimistic, stay ambitious, and as always, most importantly, stay safe.